I think the thing probably common amongst most of the people that make this transition from coder to business owner is confidence that they can do anything that's going to come at them. Mm -hmm. And so then to have that confidence shaken sounds not so much shaken, just know that you, there's not enough hours in the day. Yep. It's a good problem to have in some ways. I treasure the rare days where I get to be in the zone. The coder's high. There's a, an equivalent, you know, equivalent, but parallel business owner's high. When you feel like you're really getting all that businessy stuff done and you feel <laughs> like, yes, did it today. And it feels satisfying. And yeah, you have your own little yay celebration moment because again, you're, you're the one who's sitting there by yourself appreciating what that actually needs. You're listening to Working Code, and now your hosts, who wish they were Boolean, so the next time they're wrong, it's only by a bit. Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 52. Uh, Hey, a year. Can you guys believe it? Wow. Happy anniversary, you guys. Yeah. Right? What a long, strange trip. Yeah. Yeah. Can you believe it was only a year ago that we started doing this? It feels, it's, in some ways, it feels like the time has flown. In some ways, it feels like it has dragged by. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just feels like normal to me. It just, it feels like we've been doing it a lot longer. Yeah. Well, on today's show, it's a little bit of a special show since it is episode 52. Since we are recording this the week of Thanksgiving here in the United States, we're going to take it a little easy on ourselves. And the main body of today's show is an interview that I did with my boss, Steve Rittler. We'll play that here for you shortly. And then we'll do an after show. And maybe since this is episode 52, let's just include the after show for everybody as our gift to you, our way of saying thanks for listening for a full year. I think oh, that sounds oh, fun. I think that's great. Good idea. Cool. Great, great, great. So we'll have to keep it PG since it's going on the, the main feed oh, it's here always, for everybody. It's always PG. <laughs> it's never PG, Tim. <laughs> thanks to Tim. Okay, so without further ado, here is the interview that I recorded with my boss and my friend, Steve Rittler. I've known Steve Rittler for a long time now. When I took over as the manager of the Philadelphia Cold Fusion user group in 2009, he was the person that handed over the box of branded pens and stickers that he couldn't give away. We eventually figured out that we had both previously worked at the same consulting firm and that a few years before I was hired, he had quit to start working for himself. He was on that adventure for more than 15 years and He now has four full-time employees, some seasonal helpers, and several alumni. During that same time, he also got married, had two children, and moved to another state. I consider myself fortunate to call him my boss. Since he started out as a coder and ended up a small business CEO, he has an interesting vantage point. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I don't think I've ever met anyone as thoughtful and insightful. I feel really lucky to be able to share this conversation with you today. So, podcast friends, allow me to introduce you to my boss and my friend, Steve Rittler. I think if I had one uh, Christmas gift in my stocking this year, it would probably be that very generous introduction, Adam. Thank you. (laughs) It's a way to throw me off balance right from the (laughs) get-go. You're welcome. Something that we do here on the show is uh, we call it Triumphs and Fails. And it's sort of the whole point of this show, which is just celebrating the the everyday life of being a developer. And sometimes you can celebrate a failure, right? And so we talk about things that have happened recently. I want to give you an opportunity here to voice a recent triumph or failure and have that celebrated. Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually really neat triumph in that our existing customers continue to evangelize on our behalf. Uh, Even 
when I don't know that we can necessarily take any more work on right now, my calendar has been filling up with more and more demos the last two weeks. And every single one of those gets a little bit smoother than the one before. And I feel like I'm winning in those demo conversations because we have built such a thorough product and service around it that anything that they ask about, yes, we do that. And it's not salesman's bluster. It's the the confidence and true zero versus one declaration of a, it's either true or it's not. And I wouldn't say it if it wasn't. And those feel like wins every time I can say, yes, we do that. And here's why, or no, we don't do that. And here is definitely why we do not. And even when I'm able to say no, right. back it up, it's still accepted as, oh yeah, that's right. Okay, cool. So my triumphs the last two weeks have been a lot of those conversations with new prospects that have been going incredibly well. Yeah. It definitely feels good to have a, a no be validated like that. That's awesome. Sometimes I think that my developer background doesn't help me in those moments. I have to tamp that down a little bit and make it a little bit more friendly, help it go down a little bit smoother. We know a lot of the details that most would typically gloss over. Our definition of integration, as one example, is radically different from what a customer's definition of integration is. They, yeah, they just think it's magic. Or, or for them, if they can get a spreadsheet, that's integration. For us, it's having machine talk oh machine. God. We're talking radically different perceptions of what that actually means. Right. Is there anything that I didn't mention there by way of introduction that you would want to, to open with? No, I don't think so. If I could venture right out of the gate that I think what starts us as software developers in the first place is wanting to fix the world with whatever lever we have that we can put our hand on. And when that lever was no longer long enough, that's when I started to pull people together and grow the business so that we could do more and solve more problems or solve them quicker, sometimes both at the same time. And some days it sure feels like we're getting nowhere on them. But that's that's kind of the gist of it, I think. You've had me thinking quite a bit about this evolution of software developer to leader, I suppose. And I think it's always in search of a better tool, something I'm sure you can relate to down in your woodshop. Absolutely. So here's a question for you. Do you want me to start with a softball or a hardball? Take this whatever direction you want. I had a feeling it was going to take on a life of its own, not too much time. Yeah. And I know you said you had a a lot of thoughts running through your head that you wanted to talk about too. So feel free to lead me wherever you want to go. Okay. Let's start with a hardball. Mm -hmm. So we just the other night recorded an episode about coming to terms with the idea that you're replaceable in the eyes of your employer especially when you join a startup early on and the company eventually grows large enough that the differences become clear, even if you don't see it happening in real time. And in that, we also looked at it from the perspective of employees and talked about how we should view our employers as replaceable and also the role that side projects can play in that, little side hustles. I'm curious to get your perspective on that topic. I'm actually kind of astonished because it was things like that that have been running through my mind for the last week about reading stories about the great resignation and what leads people to feel like it's time for a change of scenery and what the impacts are of that. We, as employers and and managers, I suppose, in in that role too, you think about the team that you're trying to create and the team vibe and the team atmosphere that you're trying to establish with the players that you have on the field and looking for new ones to complement and enhance that team. But talking about the flip side of that, the departures, the exits, the changes of scenery that we all need from time to time. It's as much of a loss as it would be the ending of a friendship. 
make you remember really good things that came of your time together and the adventures that you went on and the side quests that you might have decided to conquer. And it's hard to let go of that. And part of why this is leaving me so astonished is that one of the things that I have always had a difficulty with as a person, not as my professional role, but as a person, is letting go of people and places and things that have meant an awful lot to me. So definitely one of the things that probably escalates my anxiety uh, in, in probably the top five things is the thought of losing really great people that I enjoy working with and knowing that the good part of this country's workers are all reevaluating their professional situations at the same time leads to a lot of open chairs in places. And mm-hmm. as much as from a person to person standpoint, I would hate to lose people. But on the flip side of that, it's what should I be anticipating, thinking, and is there anything I could really do to keep the workplace mm-hmm. and the work fresh enough that maybe the idea of jumping ship isn't quite as attractive as it would otherwise be. So, wow. Uh, you, yeah, you definitely came hard <laughs> on that first one. That's, that's a tough one. I'm not even sure that I totally answered it. I just added a whole lot more I, uh, my own thoughts. I had the benefit of knowing you for a long time now. And so I think something that is probably true that you didn't really represent in your answer there is that I think you, the feeling that I get is that you value our personal development too, right? Oh you, my God, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know that there are chunks of our work that all of us are tasked with doing every day, every week that maybe aren't the most exciting thing in the world, but it's what keeps the lights on and the bills paid. But within that space, we've always got our, our noses sniffing around trying to find something interesting, something novel, something clever, something new and, and unique to keep it fresh. And I can't think of too many occasions where I've had to call for a, a timeout or a slowdown on something that's new or novel or fresh because those projects and those tasks and those learning experiences have always resulted in something that's been truly helpful to either make our day-to-day work a little bit easier or more interesting. But yes, I truly value that. And just the explosion of things that hit this market in this space, I wish I had more mental bandwidth to take some on myself. But I take a special pride and joy in seeing what you guys are learning and what you bring back to the table. Say, hey, guys, check this out. This is really cool. Especially when you get so into it that there's nothing that can distract you from it. That's when I know you're really on something. Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess let's start with some of the more obvious questions then. So as I mentioned in the beginning, you came from a consulting firm and I don't know the specific projects that you worked on there, but at some point you decided to leave and you, to the best of my understanding, started to do some consulting of your own freelance and you were working with maybe just your alma mater or maybe additional schools as well. Actually, the first hop out of our common employer was to another consulting company that I started with two other guys. Uh, We had one full-time person working for us there. And because that was so consulting-based, there was a lot of hand-to-mouth, you know, feast or famine that went along with that. And knowing what I know now, looking back on it, that operation was doomed from the get-go, simply because Mm -hmm. three chiefs, unclear roles, and no real power center that could have swayed that conclusively one way or the other led to a complete lack of real sustainable mutually agreed upon direction. So, so when it was that a lack of <laughs> Yeah, it was a lack of, of consent and consensus at the leadership level that ultimately led to first one one of the partners saying, Hey, I'm out. I, I want to do this. And then within a matter of hours, we just decided we're shutting the whole thing down and that was it. Wow. It was a tense meeting at first. I, I 
can't say that we parted as best of friends, but we certainly parted on on decently civil terms. It was a, a good effort and a very key moment in in my professional development. So I learned a lot by that. I can't call it a failure. The sure. company failed, but the experience sure wasn't a failure. But then after the, out of the ashes of that, one guy took most of the pot of money that was left. One guy took the biggest client that was left. And that left me with no house, no spouse, no huge bills, and the rest of the client list, and obviously a desire to be my own boss. So we signed the, the termination of the partnership agreement on a Friday afternoon. I got in the car, picked up my then girlfriend. We drove down to the Outer Banks and went on vacation for a week. And when I came back, it was time to get to work. The vacation had been planned in advance. I Okay. You know me, I'm not that spontaneous. <laughs> you yeah, also right. know I'm not good at vacation. So none of that made sense to you right there. But it just worked out really well that I had a, a big old reset moment that could happen before I settled in and tried to figure it out without having to work through partners. And all three of us benefited on the, the flip side of that arrangement. So it was good. And it's only grown since. So yeah, you were working with your alma mater, Lehigh University. And I think that's kind of how you got your foot in the door with focusing almost entirely on higher education as a, like as a vertical, as your market, right? It was a space that I had a lot of interest in. It was a very personally relevant and personally meaningful quest. I, as a software guy, saw the need for better tools, better technologies to be introduced to a business that was a bit hidebound in the way it went about doing it. And I figured if I could get a customer that was willing to take a few risks and try some new things out, that the profession as a whole would benefit from it. Okay. So I imagine if you could do it all over again, hmm. maybe you wouldn't go into the partnership with such a maybe naivete or maybe skip it all together. Oh. What, do, what do you think you would do differently? Oh my God. The document of things I would do differently professionally grows by the hour. But in that one particularly, I don't necessarily think that it was a, a bad experience. I think I would have been far worse off if I had jumped into it all by myself from the get-go. Hmm. I didn't know what I didn't know. And while ultimately the three partners couldn't come to terms on who was going to do what, we each brought slightly different strengths to the table and that helped. I think there are mutual blind spots though, even among the three of us that we just didn't see coming until it was too late. Mm -hmm. So would I do a partnership again? I think it was a very essential and necessary learning experience. I think I would know an awful lot more about what to find in a partner next time around. Mm. It wouldn't have been just falling over backwards into it. I know that a lot of the startup accelerators really lean hard on the idea of going into it with a partner because it is an emotionally trying experience, not just at the beginning, but every day to, to do this job and having somebody who's right there in the trenches with you sees it from the same perspective and you can kind of look at each other and be like shrug yep one mm -hmm. of those days hmm. takes a while to get okay. to the shrug level though a lot of it's a <laughs> ridiculous roller coaster with some very neck snapping turns so i imagine you've, you've had some different perspectives here what's bad in but also different between being the boss versus being a partner versus being a consultant i think I don't mind the responsibility. I think that was something that I've always hungered for. There's fewer people to blame when it's all on your shoulders to, to execute and, and carry it out. I think in a partnership scenario or even being an, a, an employee, there's always somebody that you look to for an answer when you're a little bit jammed up or stuck. But once you become the guy, you got to be 
the decider, to borrow a term. It takes a while to practice and exercise that muscle. And you may want the responsibility. Mm. That sounds great. Uh, but then to actually make the call, weighing not entirely complete information to make the best decision possible at that moment in time, reading the field as you see it. You know, you, you could see that same sort of advice coming from far better leaders than I in their writings. They're always saying, if you can get 70% certainty on the information that you're making a decision based on, you're way ahead of the game. And sometimes you don't even have that to play with. So hmm. as a consultant, you're always following the client's lead. They theoretically know what they want. You may be guiding them in a certain direction. They might have hired you for execution or the determination of the path or in some very rare situations, both. As a partner in a business, you're trying to balance those client-driven needs and wants against your business's viability, which is usually hourly. And all of that leads to where we are now. And that Mm. is a different kind of balancing act. But it certainly leads to quite a bit more financial sustainability too. Okay. So as the guy who has it all riding on your shoulders, I have to imagine that occasionally there's some things that keep you up at night. (laughs) And what I want to know is what would surprise you 10 years ago about the things that keep you up at night now? I had never thought of that question. That's a good one. I think I would be shocked to discover that there's just not enough of me to do everything I've committed to do. And that's what keeps me up at night. I'm not enough on my own anymore. And this kind of goes back to your original ask for this, the transition from individual contributor and developer to to manager and, and leader. It's mm-hmm. You're so used to just popping open a code editor and getting it done that eventually... <laughs> If you stumble into success, there's too many things that are bottling up behind that gate of your editor that you just can't do it yourself anymore. Between the direct client-facing work, product-facing work that needs to be done, and just the normal business maintenance tasks, what keeps Mm. me up at night is that there's just not enough of me to do all the things that I want to do. I think the thing probably common amongst most of the people that make this transition from coder to business owner is confidence that they can do anything that's going to come at them. Mm -hmm. And so then to have that confidence shaken sounds not so much shaken, just know that you, there's not enough hours in the day. Yep. It's a good problem to have in some ways. I treasure the rare days where I get to be in the zone. The coder's high. There's an equivalent, not equivalent, but parallel business owner's high. When you feel like you're getting all that businessy stuff done and you feel (laughs) like, yes, did it today and it feels satisfying yeah you have your own little yay celebration moment because again you're you're the one who's sitting there by yourself appreciating what that actually means i've i do feel though and i want to make sure that this is said having come from and still have a software background i can appreciate and and understand the work that the developers in my business do and how hard it is to get into that flow state of getting really awesome things done without distraction in an environment that seems to only trend toward more distracting day over day. I know that miracles can happen if you end up in the flow, but it's really hard to conjure a miracle in the midst of chaos. So it's always a bit of a treat to see what's been accomplished day to day and see what kind of safe space for that to happen we've been able to create. Okay. Something that has never been a strong suit of mine. So I've always been impressed when you pull this out of your back pocket, but I feel like you have this ability. <laughs> you don't, you haven't heard the thing. I yet. Know, that's laughing. funny enough. Uh, 
it's not a backhanded compliment. It's a front-handed compliment. You have this ability to see a, a, sort of a large and, but at the same time, nuanced picture of the industry, but at a really high resolution, right? So you you can see all the players making all the moves from my perspective and understand how they interact and what maybe the subtext is. And I'm wondering how much of that is just something you tripped into and didn't necessarily have to work at. Right, it's just an ability you found yourself with, or is this something that you had to like train yourself to do? And I think one hundred percent of it is just having a natural curiosity. The players that we're competing against, what are the forces that are acting on or against them? How did they end up where they are, uh, and where are they struggling to move with their product? One of our biggest competitors, which is always fun when you're the the David and the David and Goliath story, they had a, a very old product that had been glommed onto over time. They had a very mature sales organization that kept piling more and more on, and it was very profitable to just keep levering up on what you'd already offered. Even though, from my perspective, as a a downstream consumer of that same service, it's far from great. And it kind of drove me nuts that this inferior product had so much of the market, and I felt that they were ripe us to go after. And we have found success in that. But as our own product and platform have matured, I stifle a laugh in all too many moments where I think, oh, that's how they ended up there because we're heading down the same (laughs) exact path. Every line of code we write is our own next legacy. And uh, the more of that we oversee, the more of that we maintain, the more I see how, how brittle it gets over time and which pieces of that interface and that experience get neglected out of sheer necessity due to the breadth of what you're trying to accomplish. And our competitors make a whole lot more sense to me now than they used to. And the moves that the bigger players, the next level up the chain from there that they're making also make a whole lot more sense to me now than they used to. You think old and stodgy, but there's a reason that they were able to survive as long as they did by knowing or accidentally discovering what they could sacrifice in pursuit of some other bigger overarching goal. But to back to your question Hmm. on that, I have a natural interest in imagining what our role is longer term, bigger picture. Where do we fit in? Who's going to be the upstart that comes up from R6 and tries to take us out? How do we create that moat, I guess, around uh, what it is we do? And what are the things that we can do that really, truly differentiate ourselves from other players in the space? You can't differentiate if you don't know where everybody's going. The market never stays still. So that awareness of what's going on, that's, how do I want to say that? Like, it's a necessary part of the job of becoming mm-hmm. the boss. And Yeah, and you know, I want to be able to not waste your life. I, I ask you to do things. I appreciate that. Seriously, I ask you to do things and build things that will move us in the right direction towards or away from something that, that's very intentional and deliberate or firms up the ground under our feet a little bit. I don't want you just spinning wheels, building things and spending your life building things that are ultimately disposable. I mean, in the long term, sure, long run, all this stuff gets wiped off of a hard drive that gets crushed. But today, however, those bits and bites are what keeps roofs over our heads and food on our tables. So Let's do the best job we possibly can to sustain that as long as possible. And that comes with uh, quite a bit of situational awareness baked into it. 
I don't know that they train you in any of that in the in software engineering classes. Uh, you may think about how a program may fit into a particular business flow, but if you pull back and zoom up, zoom out or gain some altitude or whatever metaphor you want to use, similar, we're our own cog in a bigger machine. We're providing a, a vital service at a certain spot. Uh, and we want that cog to be reliable and efficient and not squeaky. Okay, let's see. I keep thinking about the past here. You have, I don't want to, I'm trying not to call you old here, but you've been doing this for a long time. And I'm curious, what stands out in your memory? What are the, the most memorable things of that, say, like the first 10 years of running a company? The hardest part of growing into my role was absolutely learning how to direct someone else's efforts day to day, week to week without micromanaging the heck out of it. Even if I had the time to micromanage the heck out of your days, I don't really want to. I've got enough floating through my own, but understanding where the skills and strengths lie, uh, but more than that, where the interests are, what parts of your job, your role of the things that we need done are of interest to you that would create a natural affinity toward, oh, you're a really sick person who loves dealing with IAM in AWS. So <laughs> cool. Here you go. You can take over that. Not that any such person ever existed on the planet, but that's the thing that you have to slow down and take the time and listen hard between the lines. Because even if you ask somebody straight out, what are the things you're interested in? Great. We'll get a baseline, but there are always these seams between projects and tasks that still need to be accomplished. And where can I find the adjacent things that I can safely assign and delegate to you and know that they'll get done. And I use you in a general sense there, not, not lobbying at you specifically. Managing people is by far the, the most tricky thing for a software person. I know that I got into doing software because I wanted to do things with a keyboard that made the world change somehow without collapsing the economy. But people don't work the same way. You can order a machine and the faults in how the machine behaves are entirely your own. The faults in your team and your business, how that's perceived to the outside world are far more complex in nature. And knowing that we all have good days, we all have bad days, we're all struggling through a pandemic, a much, much lighter and an empathetic touch is absolutely necessary. And in none of my engineering classes do we ever talk about empathy and the role of leadership and management. It's always about commanding the machine to do your will and uh, very autocratic. And that is not the way of the world. And I'm glad it's not. It's hard to learn that kind of on the fly. You try to find some help and some advisors who can coach you through some of the harder decisions, but even that's not really enough. Yeah. So you mentioned having advisors. I know you have a little bit of like a brain trust mm -hmm. or uh, what do they call them? There's a term for it that I'm forgetting. Something group or... I don't know. Maybe. It's nothing formal. But how do you find those people and how do you know who to, who to listen to and who to ignore? The ones that I trust the most are the ones who have tapped me on the shoulder and needed me to do something for them at some point. They saw something in the skills or uh, perspective that I had that was useful to them. And they took that and levered it into something really big or great or interesting or awesome that fascinated me. And I have gravitated toward people who know how to see things in other people to complement that spot of me and that 
that area where I'm not as strong as I would be on the tech side. And it's because of the watching them manage so effectively and empathetically that I feel that I can uh, confidently and safely go to them with the hard stuff and get really good advice, not only because they're good at their jobs, uh, but because we also have a long-term relationship and, and understand how the other one thinks. So we know how to speak to each other, I think. Is a very necessary part of that. It wasn't okay. like a, an all in one day where I just picked four people who I thought were going to be really great sounding boards. These have been accumulated over decades and people that four different situations I go to to talk to and, and get advice from. Just like any other professional network, I would imagine. Sure. Okay. It, yeah, it deformalizes it in my brain. Really? Some. Yeah, there, there's not like this uh, committee of people who tell Steve how to think and act making a puppet out of me this is more of right man i really i'm not sure of my decision on this or i'm not sure how to handle this because man i am really freaking out and i need to talk to somebody who can talk me back off the ledge by the end of those multiple paragraphs and pregnant pauses i've got a much better grasp on what the real problem is and sometimes just having that sounding board makes a, a world of difference the rubber duck debugging of the business yeah it sounds more like a, a mentor relationship than anything else. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. Again, not formalized. It's not that there are regular checkpoints or touch points, though. It probably wouldn't hurt. Sure. One of the, the things that I talk to students most frequently about when I'm invited into classes, talk about entrepreneurship and, and the, what it's like to run a real business, not just a, an on-paper or semester-based project, is just how hard that roller coaster is on a, a day-to-day basis to get used to. You don't dampen it out, but you do learn um, and it's forced upon you moderation or you are going to burn yourself out with getting too high on the high days or crushing yourself on the too low, the low days. And knowing that roughly everything is transient except ultimately an end of a business, you got to hope that tomorrow is going to be a little bit better or not as bad. Uh, as it was today, uh, or that really great day you had. All right, let's see what we can do to spread that out just a little bit. Take some of the energy from Tuesday and get it into Wednesday and get some momentum going around that. Managing those emotions in my own mind and getting them to a place where I can be coherent about it when I talk to the rest of my team to talk to customers, it's swallowing a lot. <laughs> and, and it's swallowing probably just as much of the good as it is the bad to keep things level and stable and predictable and consistent and steady, knowing that a lot of the goals that we have for the business are longer term ones. We plot out our work days day to day between standups, but the arc of where we're headed takes more time to execute. And I don't want to burn too much sugar on a good day. I don't want to burn too many tears on a bad one. That's not something that you can just get until you're struggling your way through it. More than the work, it's the emotional burden of that responsibility that tires me out by the end of the day that that's what keeps me from doing my my third shift of work some nights i just don't have it in me i've managed myself too much and burned a lot there so that kind of alludes to the fact that in addition to being the boss and running the the business side of the business right not so much the the output of the business but the management in addition to that you do still do some coding and you kind of have your own little playground in that one product. It's a hard habit to break, um, but it needs to be broken. It is. 
I can I can see exactly why it's hard, right? It's, I I can't imagine walking away from code, even though I'm getting a little older and I can see the appeal of the leaving the fast paced changes in the world of development to the youths, as mm-hmm. we say, and kind of taking my foot off the gas and maybe considering management sort of thing. I, I still can't imagine completely stepping away from coding. No, and I don't think you're ever going to sure completely pry it away from me. There's still that thrill of creation and that's never going to go away. I will lay it right out there. I will never take the same sort of thrill in growing a company via headcount or whatever else as I do out of seeing something get conjured into existence uh, by the, the magic of my fingers on a keyboard. It's still awesome to me, but I sure would like to not be quite as much of a bottleneck on advancing it. Fortunately, the product that I spend a disproportionate amount of my time doing that individual contributor work is a revenue generating product. It's rewarding both for the business and and for me personally. That said, it's now grown to the point where I should not be doing that anymore. So take that for what it is. <laughs> there is absolutely a parallel between growing a, a, and running a business and being a parent. I mean, my, my daughter is six, mm. but while she may be my first human born, uh, certainly not my firstborn creation, the business came before that. And I learned a lot of don't get too high on the high days. Don't get too low on the low days. Everything changes all the time. Try to learn how to go with the flow and you'll always need to change some diapers along the way. That I got with the business (laughs) long before she was born. So a lot of those early first time human parent things had some striking parallels to things that I had already been living for quite some time before she, she came around that. That definitely caught me by surprise. Uh, I thought business was business and personal was personal, but no, human patterns emerge on both sides of that fence. And it's been an interesting time. Okay. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to to get into? (sighs) Only philosophical stuff. Hey, philosophy's fine, man. One of the things that drew me to higher ed from the get-go was that this is a place where new knowledge is created. And this via education is how humankind has managed to advance itself time and again and again and again. And as the world gets more complex and the scope of knowledge that we should all, that we all have access to, whether we take advantage of it or not, and the rate at which new knowledge is being created, it felt really important and meaningful to me to put my professional talents to work to continue to advance that piece of human understanding so that the world that my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids all grow up into is hopefully better than the one that I grew up into. Not that it was bad, but humans have a natural affinity toward always getting better. But the last few years have really called into question what that value proposition is, whether the formal dissemination of knowledge that universities and colleges provide is the right way for that to happen? Has it grown too costly for the value that it's delivering? Is that aggregation of knowledge and smart people in the same space really delivering on the promise of what higher ed really should be? And if not, these institutions that we're trying to help to keep that same old business model alive in an economy that started moving a whole lot faster than they ever have is that still the right thing? Are we contributing our efforts to the advancement of humankind? Has higher ed earned the right to consider itself an institution? 
given that go back, what, three, 400 years at most, which is but a blip on the radar of human advancement? Or is it that, that because they move so slowly, they're able to survive these cycles of up and down and back and forth and evolution, that it's still the right place to be putting our time and talent toward? And it scares me uh, to know that higher ed, especially the public institutions or the land-grant institutions, are coming under the thumb of people who don't respect and appreciate the role of education, particularly higher education, to the general public as much as traditionally that role had been appreciated and respected and left to, to govern itself. So I think a lot more now about power and the corrupting influence of power when it turns against the same institutions that allowed it to be created in the first place. I don't portray us as superheroes in any of these roles, but I do think about what is it that we're enabling and is it ultimately good or at least is it more good than bad? And I don't know if I'm just getting uh, too high up in the atmosphere and I'm losing oxygen and that's why I'm thinking about this stuff when you have code to ship and services to support, tickets to respond to. But I think it's also helpful and healthy to, to take a step back and think about what is it we're doing here? And in the bigger picture, what good are we adding to the world by doing it? We all have talents. And I'd like to know that we're dedicating them and our lives to things that are ultimately for more good than evil. Hmm. It's funny. I think the answer that you just gave me was the answer to the my last question so i like i i don't even have to ask well, it. what was it now i need to uh, know <laughs> what i was going to ask you was yeah so i was going to ask you like okay so the the context of the question is the question was it worth it but the real question is what goes on to the scales it, it, when mm. you're balancing that out what are you considering and I, like i said i think that you that was a really yeah, good question I think you kind of <laughs> it was and i think you're right i think uh, i probably Went a little deeper on one side of that than you anticipated, but yeah, I answered it before you asked it. <laughs> Good job. So, uh, last chance to, to start a thread, to pull on a thread here. Is there something that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? I'll put one out there. Yeah. I think there's also an insecurity factor. And I think you might have caught that word come out mm. of my mouth a week or two ago. And I could tell by the pause that it kind of gave you a, a moment like, what? As a small business owner, you can never really consider yourself truly secure, especially if you're still in it all day, every day. My hours are put toward this business and trying to, to keep it moving and keep it growing and sustainably so. There's a whole different class of people who buy a business, hire people to run it, to operate it, to do the things that the business do, but they're not there day to day. And for some reason, they get to feel more secure day to day in their existence. I don't know how you get a company that delivers on its promise without having people in it day to day who care about what it is that they're doing there and, and the product and service that they're delivering. I think the owner owes that to their customers to be there and to really be sleeves rolled up, sweating right alongside the folks that are getting the work done. It may not make me a, a rich man, but it will make me a much more fulfilled person uh, by being a part of that. So I might have classed it as insecurity. So you never know when some big organization can make a hard pivot to the right and, and away from what it is we do for reasons that are far beyond my ability to influence. But I also like to think that I can tamp down some of that by being more present. I hope that level of commitment inspires the kind of, of loyalty 
to the cause, to the company, to each other, and that keeps us working together for a good long period of time. I think that thread was kind of wound around my leg a little bit, and it's been bugging me ever since. But yes, of course I'm insecure. There are no guarantees in life. But I try to make this one thing right. just a little bit more certain every day. Makes sense. Okay. Well, Steve, thanks for thanks taking for the time. Me. Appreciate it. Wow, that Welcome. was really good. Yeah, dang, that was a great conversation <laughs> yeah. there. What, what was your favorite question that I asked? So, 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 so many. Um, I think the color of his socks were blue, right? Yeah. <laughs> So much insight there. I mean, it's hard to unpack. I have to get back to you on that. Yeah, yeah. Next week. Yeah, next week. Really good, though. <laughs> good to hear from Steve again. I missed that guy. I haven't seen him in a while. Yes. He keeps really busy with business stuff. Sure. So we just heard, I think, mm-hmm. probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess then let's uh, bring the show to a close. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As usual, this episode of Working Code is brought to you by taking a week off and working less hard because it's a holiday. And listeners like you, if you like what we're doing here, you might want to support us on Patreon. And you could do that by going to patreon.com slash working code. You can support us there for as little as $4 a month. And all of our patrons at every level get access to our after show and they get early access, which is a special RSS feed where we publish the new episodes as soon as they have been edited and show notes are ready, which is usually about a week, sometimes as much as two weeks early. And of course, we have to, as always, thank our top patrons, Monty and Mm -hmm. Peter. And thank you guys so much for your support. If you are not interested in supporting us on Patreon, that's totally cool with us. We just appreciate that you take the time to listen. If you maybe were looking for a free way that you could help us out, you could do that by posting about this episode or any of our episodes or the whole podcast on your social media and tell your friends and your coworkers about it. And you could also help by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. As always, please send us your questions and show topics on Twitter or Instagram at Working Code Pod, or you can leave us a message at 512-253-2633. That's 512-253-CODE. Or you can join our Discord and share your ideas with us there. And you can join our Discord by going to workingcode.dev slash Discord. And I guess that's it. So we'll catch you next week. And until then, Tim. Remember, your heart matters, particularly if you work as hard as Steve. (laughs) You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code. Pew, 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 after show. (laughs) Oh, yeah, forgot that. Usually somebody graces us with a sound effect intro to the after show. All right, so we're just going to keep rolling right on here into the after show for everybody this week. So I don't have the usual update really to talk about there. Was um, it super obvious? None of us have listened to your, to your interview yet. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I hope it comes across that way. So yeah, we don't have a topic for after show. What do you guys want to talk about? It's a week late, but we could talk about what we're thankful for. That's true. This is going to come out in early December. Yeah. I'm thankful that the week of Thanksgiving work is usually very quiet because some people will take the entire week off, which means that I have very few meetings mm-hmm. and I can sort of operate under the radar. Yeah. I'm thankful for that. Same here. I'm thankful for a new project I'm on. I'm getting to mentor the new engineer that got hired and he's on the project with me. And I mean, we're just making great progress with it. He's really good. So it helps when you have new talent that's talented and the new nice. project just rolls. So I'm thankful for smooth work days. 
I am thankful for triumphs. I actually, so this is kind of like a little bit of everything here. Last week, I think it was probably either after show or Excuse me. Sorry. After show includes the burps, by the way. So you just have to deal with that. <laughs> Recently, Ben recommended a series of books to us, the Phoenix Project and the Unicorn Project. And so I started reading the Phoenix Project. And I have to say it's very well written. It's engaging. It's interesting to me. It's about an IT operations manager. And I'm finding it to be a really good book. I started it, I think, on Friday evening. It is currently Tuesday and I'm 75% through it. Nice. And if it weren't for the fact that it's offensive to developers, I would like <laughs> give it a five star reading, right? Like the first few chapters, the, the main character just like all over. Yeah, please quack that one too. All over developers as if we just like have no care for things breaking in production. But wow. look past that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if you can look past that and just be like, okay, I think what's happening is it's written without nuance for the developer role because that's not important to the story they're trying to tell and the points they're trying to make. Cause it okay. is like an educational book. It's about like methods and techniques for managing people and, and it projects type stuff operations as it were. And so maybe that nuance wasn't necessary for the story. So it got cut sort of thing, but it did feel pretty <laughs> being a developer and being fun like that. So, well, I have it and I'm reading it on my uh, trip next week. So yeah, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah. yeah, we yeah we did our offsite strategy session, and several people there were reading that at the time, and I've got it slated to to try to read that this weekend as well. So everyone's saying how good it is. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'll probably I'm enjoying it enough that I'll probably finish as soon as I finish the Phoenix project. I'll pick up the Unicorn project. The second one is good. The first one is better. But oh yeah, I think well, I think it's better because it has the uniqueness to it. I mean, okay. one I've never read. A fictional book about operational readiness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the second one was good, but it didn't have that just brand new feeling that the first one did for me. Hmm. So it's the, oh, what is the word I'm trying to think of here? The novelty. Yeah, it's the novelty that makes it interesting, maybe. Well, I don't want to sell it short. I think I really enjoyed it. I listened to it on audio. All this talk makes me want to go listen to it again. But How uh, long ago did you read it? I think maybe last Christmas or the Christmas before. Oh, okay. I think I did it over a winter break. More recent than I had imagined. Maybe. I don't remember a ton of the details, but I think my brain gets full of other stuff. Cool. But I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. So I'm thankful for, like like Ben was saying, just a little extra time in your work week and maybe spend it on a little side project or something. One thing I was thinking about, I saw Nolan Irk, he posted a uh, a tweet about just sort of the sort of bad practice when your language like if all your like support for language is like in slack channels like you know how there's private mm -hmm. slack channels and people go there and they ask questions and do things like that but that might feel great because it feels like a conversation but it's like none of it is indexable by google and you're not gonna find all that that's not all searchable the, yeah. yeah it's not searchable it's all kind of lost mental capital that goes in there so i was like man Maybe I need to, maybe I need to dust off the old uh, CFML.us and throw up a, throw up a forum software there and just to, other than Stack Overflow, just another place for people to post questions. But I don't know. I might, might play something with forums this, this Thanksgiving holiday. Like over your break. That'd be fun. Yep. Yeah. My, my gut reaction was that's not a, I, this is not against you, Tim, but it's just that not a great idea because I feel like 
Stack Overflow is such a good format for getting answers to technical questions right. that you wouldn't want to take them off. But at the same time, I feel like Stack Overflow does themselves a disservice by being kind of unfriendly to beginners and people who don't understand how the site is supposed to work. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah. The makers of Dev.2, I think they have a forum software called Forum. It's called, I think it's pronounced Forum, but yeah, yeah it's F O R E M. It stands for something, but I can't remember what it stands for. It, it's, it's just like it's for the people. It's not a, it's not an acronym. I, th- I think it is. It's not a fully an acronym, I, but I think it's like for EM kind of a thing. Now I got to look it up. For empowering. So for M. Mm. I mean, okay. maybe I'm making up that that's like, maybe that's just a happy coincidence. I don't know. I'll buy it. Sure. I was ranting about Boston. databases at work today. Yeah. I, I, I always get so excited when I hear about podcast episodes that compare different databases and how they m- mesh with different types of application architectures. But I always get so irritated when I feel like relational databases get poo-pooed for some old style of work <laughs> and document databases get used for all the new cool stuff. And, and inevitably in these conversations, there'll always be someone who says something like, well, relational databases are really good if you don't know how you're going to use your data yet. And I think to myself, like, isn't that everybody all the time though? Like I'm when you start, constantly you don't building, know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not even just when you start. I'm constantly building new views in my application that show data in a way that doesn't get shown like that anywhere else in the application. What an unbelievable privilege it must be to have an application that is complete. <laughs> I feel right, exactly. Right, I have never, ever experienced that feeling. Like there's always more to add, more features, more reports, more whatever. Literally added three new columns today. (laughs) (laughs) And it's never complete. It's just abandoned. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Tim, maybe we should just say welcome back. Oh, thanks. You know, we, we briefly touched (laughs) the first week you were gone. We, it wasn't an intentional thing, but we just completely sort of forgot to mention that we, (laughs) that, that you weren't there and like why. And, and then the last week we mentioned it, but only because we talked about moving on, right? Or what was it, the conversation was? Uh, it was basically yeah about being replaceable, about yep. a person. And Adam was like, "We're not saying that Tim's been replaced." <laughs> so, so, so to do with it. I was a teachable moment, is what you're saying? You okay, were, I, I see. Yes. Try to make the best out of it. Yeah, there you go. No, do it all right. Yeah. So we, yeah, we did our offsite strategy session for the year and it went extremely well. Very proud of, of the team and how collaboratively we worked. And there's a lot of, a lot of big changes coming that we're talking about, but you know, it's all good. It's all good stuff. And then I had, unfortunately, I had surgery last Thursday, but everything's fine. Just some routine procedure. So, yep, doing good. I'm on pain meds. So I'm nice and happy. So, but good hey, to be back. We glad like did, this version of Tim. You're more you did, chipper than normal. Glad you didn't replace me. Yeah, <laughs> you're not replaceable. Yeah. Don't listen to Adam. You're not replaceable. So I'm headed out to AWS reInvent next week. Super excited yeah. about that. Have you picked out your whole schedule? 
Oh, yeah. I did that the day it opened because if not, you can't get into any sessions. They fill up within like an hour. Yeah. Yeah. I had four different tracks like lined up for almost every slot because the other thing is that it's in so many locations that you need time to get from casino to casino in order to even be in the session. So I basically went, okay, a.m., I need to be in one location and here's everything I want like in Caesar that day and PM I'd be like, okay, here's another one. Well, maybe that's over in another building. So yeah, it took a day of just planning out what I might want to go to of before I could even go register for anything. Wow. And then of course the main things I wanted, a couple of them were filled up. So I had to get put on wait lists, but looks like I didn't get into any of those. Yeah, so I'm excited. A lot of financial stuff on my plate. A lot of serverless. A lot of, let's see what this one was. Oh, I'm doing some GraphQL stuff. That seemed interesting to me. Cool. So yeah, super excited about it. I knew that it was big. I didn't realize that it took over multiple different event spaces. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Let me see. Let's see. Hold on. Uh, all sessions filter. I can filter by location, and the locations are Caes- are at Caesars, Venetian, Wynn, Encore, and Link. Holy smoke! Yeah, wow. huge. Yeah, I mean, so and then you get bus from place to place. So if you need to switch locations, you need like time in between to get over. So I tried keeping all of mine in the same building for AM and PM. That way, I could not waste any time traveling. We should make like bingo cards for seeing nerds in Las Vegas, like a, right. a cell phone belt holster <laughs> mm-hmm. or pocket that protector. That would be amazing. I would, yeah, you're going to see it all. All of it. Yeah. yeah. One of my coworkers has signed up for a ping pong challenge, like the ping pong tournament. Uh-huh. So I'm going to go watch him play. That's funny. Yeah. I'll have a good time. Yeah, I hope so. I love Vegas. Have you ever seen the movie Swingers? No. Should uh-huh. I? I guess it's Vegas, baby. Yeah. Vegas, baby. Yeah. Oh, they go to before Vegas. her time. It's a classic, though. It's early Vince Vaughn and John Favreau. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it, Adam? Because your face says no. I'm looking it up. I think what? I saw this when I was in. I'm pretty sure I saw this when I was in college, but it's. I'm We're the forgetting same age. the details. We're not that. You're a couple years younger than me, aren't you? Pretty close. Yeah. 1996, the thing came out. I like looking at the cover. I know I've seen like the poster on my friend's dorm room walls. And yeah, this is a very young John Favreau. Yes. I'm pretty sure I've seen this, but I don't remember anything about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was for the people I was around. This was an iconic movie. Everybody had seen it and talked about it constantly. See, I ran in the Kevin Smith movie fan crowd, the mall rats and clerks people. Yeah. I was a big fan of clerks. That was also a classic. So after our, our the last show I was on, I've gotten it was apparent that I didn't know what Kotlin was. Boy, I've gotten an earful since then. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> yes. The discords have been blowing up on me. But what do you mean you don't know Kotlin? Uh, yeah. How dare you, sir? How dare I not know Kotlin? What is it? Is that is that one of the ones that runs on the JVM? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, Adam, Cameron, and Sean. Explain to me what Kotlin was. So yeah, I'm yeah, I mean, a little bit about it by way of comparison. Just to to, it's not exactly the same thing, but Kotlin is to Java as Swift is to Objective C. If that makes sense, it's sort of the the new way of making Android apps. 
like Swift okay. is the new way of making iOS apps. Yeah. Yeah. It did seem like it came very much from a mobile development kind of Android app kind of thing, which it's not really my bailiwick. So, but I still take a look at it. One of the things I'm excited about playing with is now that I'm on Adobe Cold Fusion 2021, one of the features that they added was the ability to write Java code directly in the CFML, mm-hmm. which on its face is nothing I would really ever want to do. But there are some weird things that I've wanted to do in the past, like play around with Redis's pub sub functionality and mm-hmm. the way that works in the Jettis client, which is the most popular Java client for Redis, mm-hmm. is you have to extend one of the Java classes that's in their library in order to create the pub sub client. And I've never been able to figure out how to do that with, with like dynamic proxies and then things are always in the wrong class loader. That but would be if really I can, interesting. Yeah, if I can write, if I can ex, like import and extend a Java class and then create some very lightweight stuff that calls out to ColdFusion, I don't know, I'm fascinated by that. I can't think of many other use cases that I want to play with, but I'm looking forward to that. Is it like a file extension sort of situation or is it, it like tag islands sort uh, of thing? Uh, I'm not 100% sure yet. It looks like there's sort of two different flavors. One flavor is like kind of an inline class definition. And then I think the other flavor might be more complete Java class. I'm not exactly sure. but As um, long as they don't call it CF Java. <laughs> Treat it like CF script. CF pod. Oh, God. <laughs> but okay, my, raise your hand if you've actually used CF div. I have. No. What, what in did production. you even do? So before I understood how to do Ajax, there was a way to do CF div and have it, you would like hook it up to, let's just say like a select box. When you change something in the select box, it would send an Ajax request to a certain CFM or whatever. And then the response that would come back would fill in the contents of the div. So it was basically like jQuery dot load and then Mm. loaded the content into the div. Doing all that client side on the server side. (laughs) That makes so much sense. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. Like it made me feel dirty. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, at the time it made me feel, I was going to say powerful, but that didn't feel like the right word. Right. Like it just felt like, uh, I was able to do something that I wouldn't have been able to figure out on my own. Recently, we talked about the unknown, that something that you want to learn can feel very intimidating. And that's how I felt about Ajax back in the day of CFDiv. Yeah. Right? Like the the idea of, oh, you have to create an XML HTTP request object and like fill out properties on it and send it and get it back and parse the XML that you get back. And uh, it's just like, it was so daunting. And then here comes Cold Fusion with CFDiv and you just tell it, here's the URL and here's the form field you want to hook it up to. And yeah, I mean, it was like less than a year. It was definitely less than a year, maybe even less than six months between the time that I did that. And I was like, oh, jQuery. Yeah, let's just use that instead. So it it was just your little training wheels to feel better. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I get it. I get it. I think we've all done that with different things. That's a little bit how I'm feeling with the Fetch API. Mm-hmm. So right now on my blog, I use jQuery to manage all the Ajax requests and and event delegation and adding and removing classes. And a lot of the stuff at this point in my career, I know how to replace. I can do query selectors and, and regular DOM manipulation. But the one thing that I'm not 
feeling super confident about is how to replace the jQuery.ajax function because it was just so easy and it took success callbacks and, and error callbacks. And I'm sure there's going to be weird caveats in the fetch API about how to pass data around and how to handle. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. You've used it. Oh yeah. Use it all day, every day. Oh, you do? It's yeah. not supported in IE 11. And I'm sort of at the point now where if don't, you don't need to support IE 11. If one, <laughs> I, I feel like what I can do is if, if the fetch API is not in the window object, I can just not show the things that require the Ajax, I guess. It's easy maybe, to polyfill. Yeah, but I figure if I'm going to polyfill it, I might as well just keep using jQuery. Like part of me, which just wants to slim everything down. I mean, I've been on this wrecking ball journey where I'm just deleting so much stuff from my application. I've dropped like 13 different data tables that were just storing data. I'm like, I never use this data. I'm just going to delete it. And uh, oh my God, it's so terrifying to open up a data table to see what's in it. And you get the warning in my, in, I use Navicat as my uh, database client and it'll alert me like caution. The table you just opened doesn't have a primary key in it. I'm like, Oh, oh, no. oh my God. I was so bad. I used to be so bad at my job. <laughs> so, so shameful. I didn't even know you could create a table without a primary key. <laughs> I wouldn't advise it. Nobody says it's smart. <laughs> no. There's something so therapeutic about seeing old code and realizing how bad it is because it's like the just the validation that I've come so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. At least you can look at it that way. Some people are like beat themselves up. Like, what's the point of that? You, you've grown. Acknowledge it. Move Absolutely. on. Oh, I, I don't think Tim knows that you both have done major updates to your blogs. No, I do know. I, I know Adam has. Yeah. I, I saw him now. Adams, you did some too, Ben. I, everything for me has been behind the scenes. I've been modernizing. I had my uh, managed hosting provider upgrade me to Adobe Cold Fusion 2021. So now I'm modernizing all the janky old junky code that I had and putting into components. And I took all of the inline SQL queries from the tops of my templates and I've put them into data <laughs> access layers that get consumed by service layers that then get coordinated by workflows. So and it's just much nicer. Same lipstick, new pig. Mm. Yes. <laughs> That's so mean, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> so you well. call it a data access layer. We call it data access objects. Well, I just like how people, how like it's the same thing, but we call it different, slightly different. Yeah. It's a deal. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I have such an aversion to ORMs, object relational mappers or mappings. I don't know what the right actual unrolled name is, but I feel like had I gone back and understood that you could use an ORM just for parts of the application, like just the parts that do the crud style stuff and then fall back to doing regular SQL for building complex reports or complex UIs that need special aggregations of data. I feel like I would have been much more open to it. But when I first started learning about ORMs, I thought the the cool thing to do was use ORMs for everything. Yeah. No, I'm nodding my head so hard over here. I think I'm going to give myself a back spasm. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, we have this one CFC in, in our application, it's the, it's that one, the one that nobody wants to touch. Um, it's, so scary. it's kind it's of so fragile. Scary. Yeah. And it's mission critical. 
And it's everything you do any one thing in there and it goes 23 layers deep of function calls. And <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And it's exactly that. Like when we started to learn ORM, that was right. Like that was sort of the first complex thing that we did with ORM. And it's like, okay, here's your, your new hammer. Go find all yeah, the nails. Right? Absolutely. Like, and then there was yeah. all kinds of stuff, even with the ORM. I don't know if this was an extension of how Hibernate did it, or if this is something that Cold Fusion added specifically, but it was like even things that weren't just simple get by primary key type stuff you could do. It was ORM, but it sort of had SQL syntax underpinnings. So you could weave your ORM objects together using this like half of a SQL statement. I mean, it was, it was just crazy. You're not talking about HQL, are you? Maybe I am. Yeah. Oh, so then I guess it is Hibernate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I sort of, my last project, I sort of took that approach. I'm like, I like the idea to just kind of define the column names and just have everything ORM set it up the setters and getters. But that's really all I wanted it to do. I didn't want it to do all the other stuff. I'm like, right. that's exactly, just use ORM for the CRUD stuff, abstracted out, out on top of that. And then what worked nice is when I switched it over from MySQL to Postgres, it just, just, it can't it just go worked. an episode without <laughs> dropping the Postgres, Postgres. can you? <laughs> It just worked. I didn't have to worry about that. Nice. I did have to change a few custom SQL statements that I'd done. But other than that, all the CRUD stuff worked, right? Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Early days, ORM, everything ORM, it's just like, yeah, we were forcing that, that peg into the wrong hole. Yeah. So actually, this is all making me think. There's this lesson that I crystallized for myself not too long ago about using ORM and how you should do it sort of, quote unquote, the right way, as far as I can divine for myself thus far especially if you want to write tests. The trap that I, or the corner that I painted myself into with my early ORM code was, oh, it's so easy to update the database. I'll just do it right here from within the service layer, right? So I've got my model, my, yeah, my model, that's the service layer, the view and the controller. And it's like, okay, well, why create a data access object for writing to the database? And I don't have to do a whole query. I'm just like new person, put in a few attributes and entity save, right? Well, the problem with that is then you're coupling the database access with your model code. And so mm-hmm. if you wanted to mock away that database layer for a test, you can't. So that is why, even though you're using ORM, you should still push that out to a data access object. And then you can, if you would like to, mock away that DAO. So, so does your data access layer abstraction, is it returning component instances or is it returning like arrays of structs? It would do both, like gotcha. it, yeah. Depending on what's the need, yeah. The we don't have a enforced rigid rule about that. It's just yeah, yeah. whatever makes sense for what you're trying to do. That's the way we do it. Yeah. And so there's often like it was originally written in a way that would return an array of person entities because we were hitting everything with that ORM hammer. And then somewhere along the line, we were like, this is dumb. I'm just going to use a query <laughs> and mm-hmm. and return the query. So it's like two <laughs> methods that do the exact same thing. One is the ORM, one is the query. And you can't just replace because then you'd have to go find all the views, all the services that use that data and fix those two, which should and could be done. But, you know, other stuff, there's other work that has to get done first, right? That you can't spend, you can't justify working on code that's fine. Right. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it. It's just lower developer experience sort of thing. Less than ideal. Yeah. So I had so. that on a PR 
yesterday, I think it was yesterday's. Yeah, I put it out and I'm returning back a query. And the PR feedback was, why are you returning back query and not just a string of the single column? I was like, oh, because this project's growing and I can promise you there's going to be more columns added to this and it's going to get used (laughs) for something else. And sure enough, right behind it, I told you guys we edit each other's code, right? Mm -hmm. Someone adds another column, renames the change, renames like what the call is to it to be more descriptive of what we're doing with it. And now it makes sense to be a query. Boom. I was like, and that's why it's a query because I knew it was going to grow into that. <laughs> Mic drop. Thank you. Approved. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the fundamental mistakes that we made in our legacy application was not understanding that there is sort of two different gestures, if you want to call that, for how you access data. It, at least the way I look at it, like there's the gesture of here is the source of truth. And, and manipulating data, and this has to have the really strict business rules and things can't go wrong. And then there's this other bucket of things where it's like, I just need to pull a bunch of data out of the database, or I need to join a bunch of things, I need to get some counts and some aggregates and whatnot. And like trying to do both of those things in the same specific code, at least in my experience, leads to some like really crazy code. And I can't tell you how many times I go to look at some piece of the data access where the method is called something like get user by ID. And then you look at the SQL and it's getting the user table and it's joined to the account table and it's joined to the subscription <laughs> no! table and it's joined to the password policy table and it's joined to IP geocoding tables. And you're like, this is because someone at some point needed each one of these things in like completely <laughs> different parts of the application. And they were like, I'm just going to shoehorn it into this thing. So now every single person who ever calls that method has to pull back all of that data. Nope. Makes you so frustrated. I can't stand those. I'm like, that's go what put code that where it's supposed to be. <laughs> no, then go like, get it. That's yeah. what code review is for. You should have, uh, not you personally, yeah. unless it was you that did the code review, Ben. Whoever's doing that code review should be like, uh, no, the first one maybe gets by, right? You're adding one column, not a big deal. When you get to the second or third column and all of these things are unrelated, that's when you go, eh, no, let's Mm-mm. start to split these up. Get user Mm-mm. with geo information. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep, yep. Agree. Virtual high fives, Ben. I agree with you. I like this. So, you guys do anything fun over the holidays? I mean, I'm going to Las Vegas. Well, that's fun. You're actually going to be there on Thanksgiving? No, I fly out Sunday, but I'm calling it that. My kids are with their dad, so it's just me and the puppy and the boyfriend. So, for a little bit and then leaving. We're not doing anything terribly exciting. We're visiting some family. And I mean, I got Thanksgiving, then my oldest son's birthday, he's going to be 13. And then a oh, couple happy of birthday. Yeah, a couple of weeks off and then it's going to be Christmas and then like a week and a half off, two weeks. And it's going to be my younger son's birthday. Uh, so, nice. How about you, Ben? Just family stuff. We're doing two family Thanksgiving. So my we do our thanksgiving on thursday as my wife's family down in maryland we're going to go from new jersey to maryland and they have their thanksgiving on friday so how long of a drive is that do you it's drive not, it there's it's a train like ride? three hours i think it's oh, not too then, bad that's not bad it's just it's more the people than anything Oh, yeah. <laughs> not that they're bad people it's just a lot of people it's a lot yeah, of people yeah. it's exhausting yeah. yeah Ben don't people well yeah yeah, I mean, I we're, we're not doing a vacation for my vacation. 
Yeah, we're not doing a whole lot. I mean, I'm still a bit tender for my surgery. So the idea of driving or going anywhere far. So we're just hanging around here <sighs> and uh, not doing much. My, my daughter turned 16 last week. Aww, mm. congratulations, congratulations to her. Yep. And she took her SATs and did really well. So uh, Peyton's doing his ACT next two weekends out. So that's scary for them. It's so intense, like all yeah. the pressure with it. She did good. She just needed a high enough score so she can uh, dual enroll at the good. college she wants to go to. Nice. So, so, she, so she's able to dual She got enroll. there. Yay. Yep, sure. yep. Great job, yep. kiddo. Yep. She did good. What is dual enroll? So uh, in Georgia, you can go to college while you go to high school. So you, oh. you can, yeah. So for free. Spit for free. It's 100% free. The books, what? there's like zero pennies no out of your pocket. That's yeah, amazing. Really, yeah. It's really good. You can, you, some kids will like come out of school with, with a, a associate's degree. Mm-hmm. A um, lot of kids at, do if they do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And it's good because in Georgia, they also have a tuition assistance program for every kid who graduates high school in Georgia. So like as long as you have a C average, you get like 80% of your tuition paid for. If you're yeah. a high achiever, you get all of it paid for. <laughs> I wish so, everybody could see Ben's face right now. I'm like blown away. How did I not know about so, any of this Yeah, it's, it's called the Hope Scholar. It's called the yeah Hope Scholarship. Oh. Yeah. So, but the good thing is whatever money you spend in high school has no impact on that. So you yep. still have the full four years worth of hope mm. to follow you after high school. Yep. So it's yeah. really Crazy. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So pretty much the kids, like they're taking dual enrollment and they're also doing AP classes. So the combination of dual enrollment, AP classes, they can pretty much be done with, with college. They'll, they'll just have to take a, like a few, like of the, the, their pathway courses that they really want to take. Yep. They take those courses and they're done for little to no money. Mm-hmm. That's bananas. Not bad. Not bad. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Is this, is this, Thank you, lottery. Yeah. <laughs> is this something that other states do, or is this something very unique to Georgia? I don't know. I, I don't know. And if Georgia just has it, it's part of what the money from the lottery system pays into. Yep. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure New York doesn't do it. Yep. And so they, so they have like you, 11th and 12th graders can do it pretty much as long as they qualify and they have good grades. But uh, 10th graders, they have to take SAT just to prove that they're good enough to. They're not just wasting the money. Right. So that's why she had to take the SAT in 10th grade. So, but she did good. So cool. Yep. yep. Well, one of the, I'm going to go to one of the negative sides of it for me is that kids come out of school and then they only have two years left to be in college and now they're adults the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, you just wasted two years of getting to be a kid, you know, but most of those who are on that type of path, go to get their master's and stuff right after. So yeah. it does keep them in school longer and they have less debt and everything. But I'm just like, don't grow up too fast. <laughs> you're going to yeah. adult forever. Yeah. Don't skip your two years. No, you're not kidding. I mean, I won't say that college was the best time of my life, but it certainly ranks up there. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was great. Enjoy time. it. Yeah. So. Anyways, so that it, right. guys. Man, that was, that a, very, was a long after show. Yeah, and, and rambly, so yeah, not necessarily uh, indicative of the usual after show. But hey, we did it. And we're taking it easy on ourselves this week. That's the whole point. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I'm thankful, thankful for taking it easy. Yeah, and I'm thankful for you guys. Oh, that's sweet. We love too. doing this podcast with you guys. Yep. It's been fun, man. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to another year. Me too. And we're thankful for our listeners. Yes. Absolutely. All of you guys. Yeah, our little growing community there. That Discord would be popping off. It does. 
It's a fun place to hang out. It's hard to stay caught up. I have to Mm -hmm. mute it and write code. I'm like, stop reading. Go write. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that is probably a pretty good place to call it a night. So thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next week. See you next time.